You're listening to the Dogaritaville Podcast. I'm Laura. And I'm Lily. We are two dog professionals with two different styles, two different backgrounds, and two common goals. To drink delicious margaritas and talk about dogs. Welcome to Dogaritaville. Welcome to episode 13 of the Dogaritaville podcast. Today we are talking about how to hire a dog trainer and drinking Valentine's Day themed margaritas. For every episode, each of us does our best to create a delicious margarita around our theme. We post the recipes on Instagram so you can try them at home. You can let us know if you have an idea for a theme. Our recipes always differ so you have some variety to choose from. In this episode, we're going to talk about how to hire a dog trainer. We'll start by discussing what kind of training you need, then we'll talk about which training methods you'll want to look for, then we'll talk about researching and interviewing trainers, and we will wrap up by talking about how to advocate for your dog. So let's start by talking about the various types of training. Uh, Training methodology is coming up next, and we've already had a whole episode on it, so we probably won't delve too much into it, but... Right now we're talking about whether you need obedience training, behavior modification training, vocational training, stuff like that. Unfortunately, trainers are not a one-stop shop that cover everything, Um, so you need to have a pretty good idea of what you're looking for first. So the first one we'll go over is basic obedience. Basic obedience training is most likely the standard training that you're most familiar with. This is where you'll learn your cues like sit, down, stay, come, and sometimes there will be other things thrown in like leave it or place, and they might do loose leash walking also depending on the trainer. Basic obedience usually happens in a group setting, but it's possible to hire a trainer to do this one-on-one. So if you go to like PetSmart or Petco for training, basic obedience is what you'll get most likely. This is usually the first thing people do when they get a dog, and it's also the first step to certifications for things like therapy work for dogs. And most of the things that you'll learn in basic obedience will help you and your dog pass CGC, which is Canine Good Citizen, if you're interested in that. And usually you're going to need more than one basic obedience class to learn that. There's really no reason any dog shouldn't be familiar with basic cues and obedience, so it's good for every dog. However, it is not the kind of training that will solve every problem. That's where we get into behavior modification, which Lara will explain. Yeah, so behavior modification is kind of like Lily said, it's solving a problem. It's changing your dog's existing behavior, and that's pretty broad because it can be anything from barking at people that come in the house or just barking in general, honestly. It could be biting people, (laughs) Uh, not liking other dogs or, you know, a myriad of other issues. It's pretty much just if your dog has an issue that you want to fix, right? Uh, In its most simple terms, it's troubleshooting a problem. Most people only think of it in terms of aggression, uh, but that's definitely not all that it is. Behavior modification can be, you know, my dog's digging up the backyard, right? Like (laughs) it can be literally anything. And I think the biggest thing to know about behavior modification is that not every trainer is capable of doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I know, especially for me, when I started, I didn't understand that there was different types of training. I thought everybody did behavior modification, essentially, because to me, it was just, oh, my dog's doing this. I need to hire a trainer to get him to stop doing that. When in reality, I feel like I mean, and maybe this is just a skewed perspective, but I feel like most trainers are just basic obedience trainers and most of them don't do behavior modification. And that might not be accurate, but that's how I feel. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, so basically, basic obedience would be teaching your dog new behaviors, and behavior modification would be changing behaviors that already exist. And That's a good breakdown. I like that. There we are. (laughs) The next kind of training that we're going to talk about is vocational training. So this is something where a lot of people want their dogs to be therapy or service dogs. I don't want to get too far down a rabbit hole talking about this, but many people want to certify their dog as a therapy or service dog so that they can take it everywhere with them. And I highly encourage you not to do this unless you really need a therapy or service animal. Service dogs in particular are trained to help one specific person who has specific needs. That kind of training usually takes quite a long time and is also usually quite expensive. Technically, any trainer can train a service dog. There are very few regulations around that. But I, for instance, would feel super irresponsible training a service dog. And I've turned people down for that kind of training in the past because it's very nuanced and it's important work. So trainers shouldn't be training service dogs unless they are specifically capable of that. And I will let Laura talk about therapy dogs because she has experience with therapy dogs. So yeah, before I go into therapy dogs, I will just say... (laughs) (laughs) A service dog, you cannot have a service dog unless you have a disability. End of story. (laughs) They are not a service dog if they are not providing a service for a disability. That that's it. That's that's the basics of being a service dog. (laughs) Yep. And then uh, you have ESA dogs, obviously, which are emotional support animals, which I have some feelings about. I will not broadcast because it won't be a popular opinion. And and we would agree on it anyway, which people don't like. Yeah. <laughs> and then therapy dogs. For some reason, people think therapy dogs are like service dogs, and they're not at all. So service dogs are providing a service for a person with a disability. Therapy dogs are providing a service to the public. If you have a therapy dog, they're not providing the owner therapy. That's an ESA dog. And like Lily mentioned, there are zero standards for any of it, so... I could be wrong, but that's my opinion. (laughs) um, But as far as like my friends that train service dogs, that's how they say it is, you know, service dogs. Your dog isn't a service dog if you don't have a disability. You you can't have a service dog that services someone else. That's not how they work. (laughs) That's not how any of this works. Um, And actually, therapy dogs don't have public access. And ESAs just lost some of their public access. So... Service dogs are the only ones that are actually allowed everywhere. Therapy dogs have certain public access, but not as much as service. And same with ESA. But anyways, I'll get back on track. Uh, (laughs) um, Therapy dogs generally do a lot of public access work, such as visiting hospitals, facilities, things like that, schools. So yeah, a therapy dog is not therapy for, for its owner. Therapy dogs are trained to go out into the public and provide therapeutic things effects whatever you want to say it the training is somewhat minimal whereas a service dog uh, as far as i understand it is like up to two years of training Uh, again if your dog has taken like three or four classes it's not a service dog Uh (laughs) (laughs) unlike therapy dogs where again there's no standard um, but the the couple different types of therapy training that i have done Churchill was certified with two different classes and he tested out of the first one. So it should have been three. The first one's basic obedience. The second one is CGC training. And then the third one is public access training. But again, that's a private company. So that's just their standards. 
Um, and then for Noble, who ended up not becoming a therapy dog because he didn't like it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, for him, I was going to certify him through one of the national organizations. And their training is actually much less, <laughs> oddly. Their training is literally they have an instructor come out and do like some handling tests where uh, they have very specific rules like your dog has to be on a four foot leash. It can't acknowledge other dogs, stuff like that. But the the testing is literally the handler comes out, their like certified person comes out and does a like a handling test where they like grab your dog's paws and stuff like that, make sure they they handle it okay, that they can greet you appropriately without your dog doing anything crazy. And then the rest of the test is them just following you on site visits. So they follow you to like a nursing home or whatever and make sure your dog acts okay. And that's it. Then they're certified. <laughs> nice. Right? So like very, very little training and zero standards. So, I mean, there are tons of companies wherever you live. I guarantee you there's dozens of companies that will certify your dog as ESA or therapy or service with very little training. And it's infuriating and I hate it and I get really mad. <laughs> Basically, the possibilities for training are are endless. So there are trainers who will train agility and scent work and sports and things like that. I don't have a ton of knowledge of that world, but I think it would be really fun to learn, especially if you have a dog who would love it. So like if you have some kind of hound dog, they would probably be interested in doing scent work. If you have a border collie or an Aussie, they might be interested in doing herding work. If you have a German Shepherd or a Belgian Mal, they might be interested in various sports. So basically, just if you're interested in some kind of training, see what the options are around you and and try something out. Yeah, training, like she said, is, is pretty endless. There's, I'm sure there's a bunch that we don't even know about because we don't really do those things. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, there's there's a lot of very specific training. So I guess our main point is just know kind of what you want out of whatever training you're going to do, right? I have a lot of clients that go to PetSmart puppy classes, which is fine. I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> but they want their dogs to be service dogs. And I'm like, well, then you need to start with a service trainer. Like, yeah, yeah it's still going to be basic obedience. But the basic obedience for a service dog is very different than the basic obedience of a pet dog. I mean, service dogs get dropped if they're too vocal. Like, <laughs> yeah. service dogs are some serious shit. So if, if that's your goal, then you need to know that going in and start there. You can teach an old dog new tricks. It's not like you can't start over at some point. But if you think about, like, service dogs being the example, it takes two years, generally, if you're doing it appropriately, which very few do. <laughs> <laughs> generally, people that need legitimate service dogs get an already trained service dog from a, a organization, and they're not Yeah, so that, that was but. my question was, I was under the impression that a lot of like reputable organizations bred and trained the dogs. Yep. So it's not like you get a dog and then send it to go get training for service work. Like you literally buy your dog from the service organization. I mean, and it, and again, so organizations like that, you know, their wait lists are massive. So that's not always an option, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you have a disability, you can't wait two years before you get your dog sometimes. Right. <laughs> and yeah. it costs a fortune. So, and again, that's where we just get back to, there are no standards. So <laughs> you and I can have all the opinions we want on what is and isn't a service dog. But the reality is there is no standard of what a service dog is. Yeah. So, yeah. Joe Schmo with the out of control boxer 
technically, yeah, you're right. It is a service dog. (laughs) (laughs) I can't tell you that it's not because you have a piece of paper that says it is, right? So, yeah, that's really frustrating. But (laughs) it is. And, like, I I mean, I feel like the kind of person who is going to get a service dog when they don't need one is not the kind of person who's going to care about what I'm about to say. But, like, I have... I have a good friend um, named Natalie who is blind and has a service dog that she got from an organization who bred and trained her service dog to be her guide dog because she is blind. And when we go out to uh, dinner, like every restaurant that we go into is like that, you know, it gives her a hard time when like she should just be able to walk in and sit the fuck down. Like, yeah, she's a normal human being who's just going out to dinner. But because people so often have service dogs or emotional support animals or whatever the hell who aren't actually service dogs the restaurant has had bad experiences and like needs to make sure so you're really hurting people who need their service dogs when you just have an arbitrary service dog that's not cool yeah well and like this came up this comes up all the time uh and i won't take clients that want to train service or therapy i refer them all out Usually with service, I don't even refer because it's usually bullshit if they're asking me about it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, But therapy, I just refer out because I'm not interested in doing any of that, nor am I qualified. So those are (laughs) some of the trainings you might be looking into, depending on what you and your dog are trying to do, trying to accomplish. Uh, Next up, we will talk briefly about the various methods. Margarita check. Laura, how did you make your Valentine's Day margarita? It's good. (laughs) It's delicious. (laughs) Um, So I know I talked a lot of shit about rims, but I'm digging the sugar rim all of a sudden. (laughs) Oh my God. So I. (laughs) Laura admitted that she was wrong, you guys. I admit I'm wrong all the time. Um, I'm generally not, is the problem. Oh, my God. If Scott was here, he would laugh so hard because I say that all the time. Like, I have no problem admitting that I'm wrong. I'm just not. (laughs) I'm just generally not. Um, So the problem is most of the rims that I have had are salt, which is not it. Um, But this in particular is very nice because it's kind of like a raspberry sour. Mm. And so the sugar has really helped balancing the, the sour. And it's just a goddamn delight. How do you say that? Chambord? I think so. So it's, uh, which I didn't know what that was. And turns out it's amazing. Uh, and it comes in the cutest motherfucking bottle. So what is it? I don't know what it is. It's just raspberry liqueur. Oh, okay. Yeah, I had to Google it. Uh, I was like, I'm not buying this shit. After the blueberry liqueur, I'm not buying shit that I don't understand. <laughs> so I Googled it when it was in the recipe. So it's called the Valentine's Day Raspberry Pop Rock Margarita. Newsflash, good luck fucking finding Pop Rocks. So mine doesn't <laughs> mine does not have Pop Rocks because by the time I went to three stores and realized it, the Pop Rocks were just for the rim, I was like, fuck that. I hate rims anyways. But I did try, okay? Anyway, <laughs> so it's one ounce Chambord, which is a real cute raspberry liqueur, two ounces of tequila, one and a half juice limes, half a teaspoon of granulated sugar, which... I was not sold on, but without it, I would be scared because this is real sour. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and then six fresh raspberries. So you like do the raspberry and the granulated sugar. You muddle it at the bottom, and then you mix the just normal margarita and pour it on top. Okay. And it is so good. Uh, I like it so much. (laughs) And then because I couldn't find the strawberry pop rocks, which I'm still a little bit bitter about, but that's fine. I just dyed some granulated sugar pink. And I dare say it's making the beverage. I was also a little bit hesitant because raspberries are very seedy. And so the bottom of this cup is filled with seeds, which... I think we've talked about before my textures with foods and drinks. So it was made me a little bit nervous, but it's actually not a problem. They stay at the bottom where they belong and they don't bother you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what did uh, what did you make? Because it was real cute. And I'm still jealous that yours is blended. It's OK. I think that you would like this one a lot. It's like basically just candy. Like, <laughs> yeah. My idea was to go for kind of like a dreamsicle sort of vibe. It seemed romantic to me. <laughs> um, so what I did, I had... A, so let's back up a couple birthdays. So for my 29th <laughs> birthday, my husband and my best friend Becca got me a pinata that was filled with little airline bottles of liquor. <laughs> yes! That's uh, it amazing. was the best gift anyone's ever gotten me. And I still have a few bottles left. And one of them is, I just never knew what to do with it. It's just a vanilla liqueur. And I don't drink a lot of things that that would be good in. So I was like, well, I'll use that. And so I did half a juiced orange and half a juiced lime, three ounces of tequila, and then my little airline bottle of vanilla liqueur, which was one and a half ounces. And then I blended that and added frozen strawberries until it was the consistency that I wanted which I like kind of a thicker consistency in my blended drinks Um, and then I rimmed it with pink sprinkles and I garnished it with an orange slice and a strawberry and it just I mean it tastes like exactly what I was going for which was like a dream sickly type flavor and it's just it happens to not be my jam so (laughs) to be fair Valentine's Day is also not her jam yeah, I'm not a big Valentine's this was, Day fan. This was a very me-centric thing. <laughs> <laughs> Which is I, hysterical to me because I've been married almost seven years now. And I just have never, so I've never I, enjoyed Valentine's. I was thinking about that. And I feel like Valentine's Day is a very single person holiday, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> it, I mean, people in relationships don't give a shit about this. I had a good time because I lit my cupcake candle and listened to love songs all day and had a great time. <laughs> you you were like, uh, what are those called? Method actors. You're like a method actor for these <laughs> themes. I mean, you got to get on the vibe. <laughs> I also hate my cupcake candle and I never use it because I don't like it, but it worked for today. It was the only Valentine's Day thing I had. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it would go... Like, that scent would go really well with what you made. It's a delight. I think having two Valentine's-themed margaritas was an error, though, because I ain't got shit for next time. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I'm going to try something that I wouldn't normally do next time, which is something chocolatey. It's, like, the only other Valentine's thing I can think. That sounds fucking horrendous. It, it does. I agree. But I'm, you know, what are we here for if not to experiment, right? <laughs> I don't think I'll be doing that. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to do a different shade of pink. That's what I'm going to do. 
<laughs> yes. So episode two was all about dog training methodologies and different uh, types of dog training, I guess. So if you're interested in that, go listen to episode two. But for a really brief recap, there's essentially three main categories, positive, balanced, and aversive. Some would argue that balanced and aversive are the same thing. There's just a lot of semantics and a lot of opinions. (laughs) Uh, So like I said, go listen to episode two. But for the idea of how to pick a trainer, it is something that you need to address. Yes, and we will give a very brief recap here. So training methods will either deal with things that are rewarding to your dog or aversive to your dog. Typically, trainers who call themselves positive or force-free will be dealing with things that are rewarding to your dog. Dominance trainers will be dealing with things that are aversive to your dog. And in theory, balanced trainers will be dealing with all of it, depending on what they determine to be the best fit for the specific dog and the situation. Uh, just so we're clear, dominance trainers and aversive trainers, we're both referring to the same thing when we say that. Yes. Yep. There we go. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Laura and I each have opinions about what is best to do. She takes a more balanced approach, and I don't think that there's a reason to not use rewards. We do agree that if someone is advertising themselves as an aversive or dominant trainer, that's a big no. So if you want explanations about why each of us feels that way, you should check out episode two. That's not super important for this episode. What we want you to take away from today is you need to do your research and figure out what you think is best and what you are most comfortable with so that you can pick your trainer accordingly. Yeah. So for me, I really think it's up to your specific situation to determine what methods you're going to go with, not to mention, obviously, how certain things make you feel. A lot of people have a pretty visceral response to aversive tools like prongs and shot collars. So obviously aversive training is not going to be your jam. Uh, Some people want their dogs to be perfect off leash and they don't want to put in any of the work. So a training collar is likely going to be the best way to do that. Uh, I don't want to sit here and try to convince anyone which way is better than another, even though I have my own opinions. Your dog is not my dog. So my opinion doesn't fucking matter. I think it really depends on how you feel, how your dog responds, the amount of work you're willing to put in, and what sort of outcome you're looking for, right? If you just need your dog to have basic manners, then I have a really hard time believing that you need any sort of aversive tool. If your dog needs a lot of behavior modification and is a dog that you can't handle, then yeah, aversives might be the easiest call for you. Uh, Not saying that you can't do it without them, but the reality of how much work you're putting in would probably make it the... uh, the the call for you (laughs) and i i just have to say verbally that i disagree but we don't need to have that conversation right now but i just want it to be heard that there are different schools of thoughts on that (laughs) yeah a hundred percent yeah so i mean like we already mentioned and like we talked at nauseam about in episode two we have different training methods and we disagree on a lot of that stuff so for me it's just kind of your situation and your reality and your feelings that put you in whatever method you want to use because I have just as many people that think prongs and shocks are torture torture devices as I do people that think feeding their dogs treats all the time or or using a more force-free approach is is bullshit so whatever you think is is whatever you think and that's the decision that you need to go with (laughs) I guess (laughs) so yeah our our big takeaway from this segment is 
is you need to figure out what makes you the most comfortable and and do that. And if you want our opinions, you can listen to episode two. And if you don't, you don't need to. That's fine. <laughs> Why are you here? <laughs> yeah, if you're if you're not looking for our opinions, then you're in the very wrong spot. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a bit about the various training methods and how to determine which one feels best for you and your dog. We'll take a break. And when we get back, we will talk about how to research and interview trainers. Margarita check. Laura, how's your margarita doing? It's so good. Uh, <laughs> I'm literally just licking sugar off the rim. Uh, <laughs> what can I say? Um, probably don't let me do a sugar-filled margarita ever again, because I can't read or follow the outline to save my life. But uh, I'm very happy about it. <laughs> As if I have any ability to not let you do something. <laughs> listen uh <laughs> no one does uh, um yeah i think it's good are you even drinking yours yes are you <laughs> yeah i look. didn't think you were <laughs> it's almost gone you're, you're like halfway through your first one <laughs> okay no first of all this is my second one. Oh, is it <laughs> it is i finished one before we started i thought you were gonna do like you did last time where you were like i'm not drinking that <laughs> <laughs> And then it's important to note that this glass is a margarita glass, so the part on the top is really thick. So I have mm-hmm, drank more than mm-hmm. half of it. Laura. Excuse me. I didn't know you were so offended. Well, now you know. <laughs> yeah, I have nothing new to say about mine. It's fine. I, I think <laughs> most people would like it. That says it all. I might actually, I don't know, we'll see how I'm feeling. I don't really want to go buy more liqueurs. This this is getting to be an expensive endeavor with all these fucking little things and the shampoo cost $30. So <laughs> we'll see. But I might try to do that next time because it sounds bomb. Yeah. I think that so- you would like it. I, I honestly think most people would like it. Yeah. Yeah. You're not the best judge for, for sweet things. I'm not. My grandpa used to tell me that I would be sweetened up by eating a pickle. So... That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, um, now let's talk about how to research and interview dog trainers. So you're armed with information about what kind of training you need and which methods you want to use. So now we want to make sure that your trainer meets those requirements. Uh, Which sounds dumb, but it's actually really hard. (laughs) It is. Uh, Because again, this is a good point to reiterate that dog training is completely unregulated. So there are people that call themselves positive and aren't. There are people that call themselves balanced that aren't. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen anybody voluntarily call themselves aversive and not be, but (laughs) I'm I'm sure it exists. Um, So yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty difficult. You really do have to do your research. Even honestly, even I have done my research and still been fooled by people. And that's from someone that is a trainer and knows what they're doing. (laughs) So if I can't do it, I don't expect the general public to be able to. But yeah, so I'm, I mean, my business is 100% referral based. I have never done any advertising whatsoever, ever. But there's there's a couple caveats to that, right? Like one, it's super risky and every business coach in the world will warn you against it. 
but I'm super lucky because by the time I started doing dog training, I had already been in the dog community for, you know, five plus years. So by the time I started, I already had all those contacts, right? And to be fair, I was doing it unofficially for free for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, it worked out for me, but it's not going to work out for most people that way. But I think that's a really good place to start is using a trainer that someone you know and trust has also used. Obviously, there are still pitfalls in that. Uh, You still need to do your homework, but that's kind of, to me, the best place to start because it's really easy to get duped by social media and marketing and things like that. So to have a real life account to go off of really says a lot, right? That being said, their favorite trainer might not be your favorite trainer. They might like aversives, you might like positives or vice versa, but it's a good starting off point because you know that person's not going to sell you a package full of $1,000 and ditch you, right? (laughs) So there is at least some insurance in doing referral based, but again, your dog is not their dog. Your feelings about methods and stuff like that is also not their feelings. So you do have to take that with a grain of salt. But to me, that is the most ideal way to find a trainer is by going through people that you know that have used them. Yeah, I think it's great to have a specific referral. But if you don't, I would just start by looking at their websites. They should mention on their website, hopefully, at least what kinds of training they do. So like whether they do basic obedience or agility or whatever. Not every trainer will mention their methods, but you can usually read reviews or look at pictures or videos on their social media to see some examples. And if you're unable to figure out whether they use the methods you like, just send them an email and ask. And they should not be annoyed by your questions. They should be ready with a response. Yeah, I get those emails all the time that literally just ask, like, what's your methodology? Because I'm more balanced, I don't speak to it on my website. I should, I guess. I I need to redo my website anyways, but... (laughs) Um, But yeah, they should be able to speak to that directly. And if you feel like they're kind of skirting the question, that's probably a pretty good sign uh, that they're not for you. (laughs) Uh, Because a positive person is never going to try to avoid saying that they're positive. Balanced people will generally say that they're balanced, but aversive trainers have a very hard time saying that they're... (laughs) Obviously, they don't call themselves aversive trainers, but they also don't come right out and be like, we use shock collars, you know? So, yeah, definitely a question worth asking. Um, I don't even want to do this section. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) certifications, I've been dreading this part because I have a lot of conflicting feelings about it. I think certifications are important in some regard, but I will say that in nearly five years of training and Five years before that, not in training, but still in the business, I have literally never not once been asked by a client if I'm certified. (laughs) Me neither. Nobody has ever. I don't even think they know that's a thing, honestly. I don't know anybody that knows anything about training certifications except other trainers, which is super disheartening, but it also proves a point and also leads to my conflicting feelings of certifications are bullshit, but they're also very useful. So I think the dog training industry should be regulated 100%. And if it's going to be regulated, then certifications would be super important. However, it is currently not regulated in any way, which makes certifications fucking pointless. So (laughs) it's a whole thing. Um, But let me start out by saying that I am not certified. I do plan to get my CPDTKA Once I'm finished with my current schooling on shelter management, 
Um, but that being said, one of the biggest reasons that I have not done certification over the last five years is because mostly it's very expensive. Yeah. <laughs> like it's insane expensive. Uh, just a practice test for the CPDT. Obviously, every every company is different. I think the practice test for CPDT, which you have to pay every time you take it, is like 100 bucks. Yeah. And I need to take a lot of practice tests. So <laughs> and then the test itself is like four or 500. And that's not including any of the study materials or prep classes if you want to do those. So, yeah, the biggest reason I haven't done it is because it's very expensive. And like I said, I could play devil's advocates on both end of whether or not it's of any use. <laughs> um, I also don't do well with like book work or schoolwork or test taking. That's just not my jam. <laughs> and like I said, I'm going to keep saying this. Part of me also thinks that it's completely fucking arbitrary. So I already touched on this a little bit, but yes, the dog training industry is not regulated. I do think that it should be. I wish it was, but the fact of the matter is it's not. Um, so any certification is going to be privately held with its own random standards. Like we already kind of talked about a little bit with therapy dogs. It's all just made up standards by different companies. <laughs> uh, yes, some are better than others. But you can also go out and get certified as a dog trainer. I'm doing air quotes. <laughs> By at least 100 different companies for a lot of fucking money. <laughs> and there's no standard. You know, there's ABC dog trainer. I mean, I have friends that have taken a six-week online course and then started a dog training company. Like, and that's technically, yeah, they are certified. <laughs> There, there's nothing I can say against that because, again, there is zero standard. But yeah, I decided to do CBD. C, why is that so fucking hard to say? Because they're all E sounds. <laughs> is that what it is? CPDT. <laughs> I, I decided to do CPDT because, as far as I can tell, and I researched quite a bit, that seems to be the most nationally recognized and respected. But again, even still, it is completely subjective. I have met trainers that have multiple certifications that I wouldn't let touch my dogs. I wouldn't let them walk my dog. <laughs> and I've also met completely uncertified trainers that I think they're the fucking best. And I want to learn from them. <laughs> and vice versa. I've also met trainers that are certified that are great. And I've met uncertified trainers that are basically con artists and only in it for money, right? So, I mean, it goes both ways. And I think that's part of why the industry should be regulated. But that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so, I guess my takeaway as far as interviewing and hiring a dog trainer is the certifications can give you some sort of assurances that at least they have some sort of actual knowledge that they didn't just make up. But it's certainly not everything. So in my opinion, having a certification doesn't guarantee you anything. Uh, but it does show you that they are at least cognizant of the industry, right? Yeah. But again, be cognizant of where that certification is from. Is it from ABC or Karen Pryor or CPDT or uh, any of the other dozens of <laughs> dozens of other ones, right? Because uh, like... What what's the one that you have the um so I, I have canine a, principles yeah canine principles yeah. canine coaching certification I yeah. I basically I mean I wrote in here that I'm not certified because nobody knows what that is <laughs> yeah but that's what I mean like 
it, th- that's not any different than ABC or Karen Pryor or whatever. Like, yeah, Karen Pryor's a good trainer. I don't know Karen Pryor. I don't know anything about her. So, but I'm assuming she's a good trainer. <laughs> she's a very popular force-free trainer. And I think Victoria Stillwell has a has an academy now too. But like, it's a for-profit business. They are making money off certifying trainers. And yeah, they are giving them education. Don't get me wrong. But you're teaching thousands of people the same thing. They're not all implementing it the same way. And they're not all understanding it the same way. So it's like, it's a whole. Yeah. Certifications. (laughs) Yeah, I don't really know what to say about certifications. Because like I said, I currently, well, I have one. But it's, again, not recognizable. But I'm planning to get my CPDT also in just a few months. Um, so I don't want to say look for a trainer with certifications because frankly, that rules me out at this moment. But, (laughs) um, if I'm being honest, I think it is a good idea because they've at least had to prove that they know something about dog behavior in order to get that certification. So it's a good starting point. Interviews are still going to be important because a certification can't tell you everything like Laura said, but it's at least somewhere to start if you don't have a referral or something like that. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's a good point. If you have absolutely no starting point, then yeah, a certification is is a good way to start. But again, I mean, I'm sure there's aversive certifications out there too. I mean, yeah. look at, Sit Means Sit is a national company. Yeah. <laughs> there is a Sit Means, wherever you live, there's a Sit Means Sit there. I guarantee it. And yeah. those people are technically certified, but it's a franchise, like... I could walk in there tomorrow and be a dog trainer the next day. (laughs) I don't know what their training is, but, you know, things like that. So just be conscious. I'm trying to, like, give give people a takeaway from this, like, where they feel good about the trainer that they picked. And I think, like, if I was going to interview someone and feel good about it, the questions that I would ask would be, like, what is your favorite thing to do training-wise and how did you learn? Because... If they're if they have a favorite thing to do training wise, they will like naturally light up and talk to you about it like people do when they're passionate about something. So that would give me a good feeling. And then um, if you ask someone, how did you learn? They should have an answer for you. So even if they don't have a certification, they obviously got their knowledge from somewhere. So So the other thing and I think that's I agree with that. But also the other thing that comes up is like. um, Not so much now since the pandemic, but. Both myself and a lot of, like, my favorite trainers, like, they, (laughs) hello, Uh, (laughs) they book so far out and are so busy that they don't necessarily do consults and stuff like that, right? So, Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, obviously, if somebody emails me and is like, hey, I have these questions, blah, 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 or wants to schedule a phone consult, yeah, you can do that, but normally pre-pandemic I booked two weeks out the other the trainer that I'm trying to get in with to learn uh books two months out so he's not always readily available to be like oh let me ask you these questions about your certifications no he doesn't need my fucking business right (laughs) right so that doesn't mean he's not a fucking amazing trainer right um and he has his certification on his website and stuff like that so is someone I mean, like that, I feel like you'll be more likely to see testimonials and reviews yeah. and things like yeah, that. Yeah, that's a good point. Which, I mean, also leads to the point, like, if they don't have that, then meh, I don't have that. But 
then at that point then you know get an interview right yeah yeah Yeah. so yeah i mean everything's situational and again it all goes back to you know the methods that you're using are going to weed a lot of people out um the methods that you want to use are going to weed people out the type of training that you want to use uh that you want to do is going to weed a lot of people out I mean, if you have that many options that you need to hold multiple interviews when you're looking for, then you probably didn't set your goals correctly, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, if you just have a puppy that's just going to be a pet and you have no real, like, goals for, quote unquote, uh, then yeah, go to fucking PetSmart. Who cares? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> right? Like, Definitely. That's a good option for just basic obedience. Exactly. For sure. Yeah. No, they're great. That's, I mean, that's literally what they're for. So, yeah, I mean, if you've set your goals correctly, the interview process shouldn't be that arduous because there shouldn't be that many options. Obviously, depending on where you live, that might not be true. But Vegas is a moderately big city. And if you set your your goals correctly, there's still only going to be a few options. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where that leaves us. <laughs> I feel like we, we tried really hard and maybe confused people a lot more. <laughs> Well, no, but I mean, I think it's just, it's all situational. There's nothing that we can say, like, this is the protocol, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you're going to know from talking to someone whether or not you like them. And that's really what it boils down to. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not the trainer for everybody. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, I think it's just make your best judgments, arm yourself with the most information. Don't just hire a trainer at rent. I mean, I have people buy packages off my website who have never spoken to me and my website doesn't have very much information. Yeah. And it, it happens all the time and every time I'm like did you mean to do that? Right. <laughs> like I don't know them from Adam. I don't know their dogs. Like presumably they were referred to me, but like you just bought a big the biggest package I sell <laughs> and I don't know your name. So yeah. <laughs> like that's not a not a good way to hire a trainer. Please don't do that. <laughs> yeah, I have um, on my website. I mean, it is possible to book a, a package with me without doing the phone consult, but I have it like asterisks everywhere. Like, please book a phone consult because I want to be able to tell someone whether I think I can even help them. Yeah. And like I have on my website and I wish that more trainers would do this. Like I have on my website exactly who my clients are because I'm also not the trainer for everyone because yeah. if someone wants to take an easy way out, I'm not going to do it. Like yeah. there are trainers who will do that. And, you know, we have we each have feelings about that and that's fine, but it's not me. And so if you're like booking a, an eight session package with me and you want a shot caller, like you just wasted yeah. a lot of money. Like, <laughs> uh, don't do refunds. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean... Yeah, and I think that's where, like, I really need to redo my website one of these days (laughs) at some point. But you know what? I've noticed a lot, especially in Vegas, because Vegas is, like, con artist central in all regards, (laughs) whether it be rescue or dog training or literally any other field. This is where con artists come to live, apparently. (laughs) There will be trainers that literally have not, they have a business card. They have no website. They have no social media, like... I all the time I hear, oh yeah, I hired this guy named John. <laughs> and I'm like, what, dude? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> How did this happen? Please don't. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, just be smart about it. No, but again, I think if you know your goals and you know what you're going for and you know what methods you want to use, that's that's gonna cut out half the battle for interviewing. Uh, yeah, and totally. researching, honestly. So. 
So those are some really kind of non-tips, honestly, (laughs) for researching and interviewing a potential trainer. Uh, Next up, we're going to go over the most important part of literally owning a dog, (laughs) Uh, advocating for your dog, uh, which is a very important thing that nobody talks about. So we'll see you in a minute. Final margarita check. Laura, are you still so happy with your Valentine's margarita? I like it so much. Uh, It's pretty much gone. It's mostly just seeds at the bottom now. (laughs) And I want more. I have all the stuff left, so I might try this blended tonight, honestly. (laughs) You're going to have even more. I'm in quarantine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a delight. I'm assuming you will never make this again. <laughs> you know, I might make it without vanilla liqueur because I, I think it's like... That would be really... Because then it's just strawberry orange, right? Yeah. And I think that it's a good flavor. It's just sweet. Yeah, I think that I would really like this just without the vanilla liqueur in it. It's just... It's kind of like a Jamba Juice, you know? Boozy Jamba Juice. I like that. Mm-hmm. What's your problem? <laughs> <laughs> the vanilla liqueur. I've said it several times. Oh, I see. I see. <laughs> But, um, I mean, obviously, like, it was drinkable for me even with that. So, I think without it, it would be really yummy for me. Yeah, I mean, strawberry, strawberry orange. Sounds like a delight. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, finally, for our last segment, we want to talk about how to advocate for your dog in training. Where this comes up most for me is puppy classes because I've had a lot of people get chastised or even kicked out of puppy class because their dog is quote unquote too shy. Being too shy is not a problem. And unfortunately, it seems like many of your standard puppy class trainers are not going to be totally knowledgeable about how puppies should socialize. So it's up to you to make sure that your puppy is comfortable. And if a trainer is trying to force your puppy to interact Even though it's awkward to confront people, it's up to you to make this a good socialization experience for your puppy because you're the one who's going to have to deal with it. The trainer won't. Yeah. So, I mean, I hear about that a lot, not necessarily with puppies, but just in general of like, my dog needs to socialize. So I signed him up for a group class, but he got kicked out for being reactive or blah, blah, blah. And I think for me, this is another big failing of the training industry, (laughs) If we were regulated in some way or we had an actual standard or or even just, like, understanding of the different types of training, like, it would solve the problem. Go ahead. Kick them out of your class. That's not what your class is for. But fucking refer them somewhere. Like, Mm -hmm. what are you doing? Just, oh, here's your refund. Bye. Like, no, refer them to a behavior mod trainer. Or if it's a puppy, refer them to a private trainer. Or make more money and go do a private. Like literally any of these things but these people just like kick them out and then don't give them alternatives and it's like well i'm the general public so i don't fucking know what to do (laughs) like what what uh and i think if if trainers kind of stopped with all their bullshit and just actually like worked together and referred to each other we'd all make a lot more money (laughs) yeah But instead, we have the general public who doesn't know what to do, and then they just give up because they're like, oh, we got kicked out of puppy class, and I didn't know what else to do, so I did nothing, and now I have a five-year-old dog that's a psychopath. It's like, oh, okay, good, great. That's usually when I get called in. Uh, (laughs) Like, (laughs) it's super frustrating. It's like, you could have avoided this entire issue 
But because Joe Schmo over there, without any sort of actual credibility, didn't refer you to anybody and just kicked you out, here we are. <laughs> it's super frustrating. But yeah, I think, I think like Lily said, confrontation sucks. Uh, but you are in total control of what happens to your dog at any given moment. And you need to kind of take that responsibility seriously. If you do your d- due diligence in hiring a trainer, you probably won't end up here. But if you do your due diligence and you still end up with a trainer that you're not comfortable with or they push methods, equipment, or anything else that you don't like, you need to say something. If you aren't confident enough to say something in person, you can email them after the session and just say that you want a refund on the rest of your package. Or if they don't give refunds, you should out of luck. But but if you're uncomfortable for any reason, I'd be willing to bet that your dog is as well. And I'd be willing to bet that neither of you are going to get the training that you need. Um, Because mm-hmm. I know for me, if I don't vibe with a client, then I'm not going to give them the tra- like what they need. Because I just want to get the fuck out of there. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it goes both ways. When I, I mean, I still work with other trainers and I still train with other trainers. And, you know, I still train my own dogs, obviously. So, like, if I'm working with a trainer that I think is a fucking moron, then, yeah, my dog's not going to get much out of it because I'm not really listening to this person. <laughs> so yeah just i mean advocate for your dog if you don't like it if you think you know if you have a puppy that's really smart and they already know all the basic commands then you know maybe you can test out of the basic puppy obedience and move on to something else don't waste your time don't waste other people's time i think is is the real takeaway Uh, and don't put your dog in a situation that they're not gonna like and another way to advocate for your dog that I'm just thinking of as you're talking is if you, you know, if you like your trainer, but you're not quite sure why you're doing something or you don't quite understand what they said, don't just tell yourself like, well, they're the trainer. Like ask, ask questions so yeah. that you know what's going on and you can train your dog at home. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Cause they, I mean, they should have the answer for that, obviously. Yeah. I'm terrible at that because I have a hard time articulating stuff like that. But <laughs> but I will give you an answer. I'm not just going to brush you off. It's just not going to be the most articulate. But <laughs> And then I'm um, like princess overkill on explaining why we're doing every part of everything. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think that's why we sometimes have a hard time together is because I'm like, okay, that five minute long thing that you just did is really just means this. <laughs> yeah you're like here's how to get from point a to point b and i'm like but here's why that works yeah <laughs> yeah exactly that is exactly it so yeah and and the biggest thing that comes up for me when it comes to advocating for your dog um which i don't know how much it actually has to do with advocating for your dog but just kind of my two cents on board and trains <laughs> um <laughs> because i feel like the general owner that's what they think that they're supposed to do Hmm. I'm, I mean, I run into it all the time. Like send their dog to a board and train? Yeah. Oh, okay. everybody I know, most of the people that I know, they get a puppy and they're like, oh, yeah, we're looking at this place. He'll be gone for six weeks. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wow. Yeah, almost everybody I know that gets a puppy because th- that's what their friend did and their dog's good. <laughs> um, so it's it's very standard around here for sure. And there, there, there's good and bad to it, right? Like, so I used to just say, like, all board and trains are bad and you shouldn't do them, which is still partially my belief. But <laughs> <laughs> but also not all board and trains are created equal. Obviously, you do board and trains for puppies. And I do, I do board and trains myself, so I can't really be that big of a dick about it. 
Uh, I justify my board and trains because they're for rescue dogs that don't have anywhere else to go and have to do some sort of board and train in order to get a foster or forever home. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong with puppy board and trains either with you, but I can't think of a single other board and train that's positive. I, I don't think I know of any. <laughs> I've known of maybe three in my entire life and the other two are gone now. So um, I would venture to say most positive trainers don't do board and trains. And maybe I'm wrong in that. You know more positive trainers than I do. But there, I mean, we have our own rescue dogs that have needed board and trains. And I literally can't find one that's not just a shock jock. Hmm. It's it's just not a thing. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, right? I mean... Can you think of any positive reinforcement board and trains? Well, mine, but that's the Well, yeah, but I mean, yeah, exactly. Uh, But you also don't board and train adult dogs, or do you? I do, but I I have a a written thing on that that I'll get to here in a minute. Okay. But yeah, so board and trains are generally not the answer. They're not always not the answer, (laughs) But, (laughs) but generally speaking, you don't need a board and train. Borden trains to me are for people that don't want to do the work. And if you don't want to do the work, then you probably shouldn't have the dog. Right. Uh, And you know me, I'm all about shortcuts. So, I mean, that's saying something if I think that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But 95% of Borden trains are literally just teaching your dog a shock collar. Yeah. And so either you can do that your fucking self or you need to not do it. (laughs) (laughs) there's there's no reason and they're fucking like it's insane you're spending like four grand two to four grand for somebody to live with your dog for six weeks and all they're doing is teaching them the collar i could save you a lot of money (laughs) (laughs) just go buy the collar and do it your fucking self (laughs) like it's just so stupid to me um not to mention my big thing as to why i don't do board and trains and don't like them is because, yeah, I your dog can come live with me for six weeks. It's not going to have a fucking issue here. I can guarantee you that. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to. Because my house is not a normal house. I am not a normal person. And I know how to manage it. That is not going to help you at all when it comes back home. <laughs> like, yeah. you still have no idea how to handle it. Your house is still the exact same. You still don't have boundaries. Blah, blah, blah. Which is why board and trains are mostly teaching the dog a collar because that's why they work. Because your dog didn't change its behavior. It just now knows that, hey, if I have this collar on, I can't do that. So board and trains are mostly useless. Obviously, they do work, but they work in that they're just training them on the collar. I would go so far as to say a normal pet dog does not need a board and train, period. (laughs) (laughs) If it's you're doing a board and train for like behavior modification then we still go back to you need to be the one doing the work because when it comes home, it's still not going to respect you or you're still not going to know how to communicate, blah, blah, blah. I don't know really how this got onto a tangent about advocating for your dog, but <laughs> well, I, think you know, my, I think my point was that don't let people convince you that you need to send your dog away for six to eight weeks. Yeah, it's, it's right? relevant because like to advocate for your dog, you have to know what's happening to them. And I, I feel like with a lot of boarded trains, you don't like you just you just send them and then you don't know yeah. what's happening. So I I mean, I have a whole bunch of stuff written that I will say, but I mean, I'll start off by saying that I, I agree with Laura. I, I mean, I haven't seen a lot of board and trains that are what I do, which I think that what I do is really good. 
to be completely fair and honest to myself, but um, <laughs> I don't know of a lot of board and trains like mine. And so I would just advise against it in general. But if you feel like you really need that, here's what I have written down. So uh, for board and train, I have some specific recommendations. If someone is giving you any sort of guarantee about how your dog will behave at the end of board and train, run far, far away. They've never worked with your dog before. They don't know how long the process will take. And if they have specific guarantees about how exactly your dog will act, that tells me exactly what Laura just said. They will just be aversive. Yes. So I will follow that up and any trainer even if they're working with you is giving you guarantees that's a no yeah <laughs> yep I, even if they're working with you and it's not a board and train trainers cannot guarantee these are animals okay yep <laughs> i don't like yes obviously all animals are the same operant conditioning is all the same so on and so i can you can give me 10 dogs that were bred the same that are litter mates or whatever they could be fucking clones it doesn't matter i cannot fucking guarantee you what they're going to do and how they're going to respond Right. I can generally guess, but I cannot guarantee. So any trainer gives you a guarantee on behavior, fuck them. Yes. <laughs> Get out. Yep. Get out now. <laughs> Get a refund. Run away. I don't know what you have to do. There are no guarantees in dog training. And if anyone tells you differently, that's terrifying. Because even with yeah. aversives, there's still not a guarantee. Yeah. So, if if um, they're guaranteeing no. something, that means they're going to try to to uh, program it like a robot which means that they're just going to yeah. shock the shit out of your dog well and again like i said even as someone that's not as opposed to aversives like even if they're using aversives they still can't give you a guarantee yeah so if they're trying to that's going to be a no from me yep well and and that's the way that you use aversives which i think is what makes you more balanced is like aversive trainers i feel like are just using those aversive tools so heavily that it just never makes sense for the dog to do anything except what you're telling it to do like there's yeah. no choice you know yeah so i think if you're getting a guarantee it's going to be that that yeah. situation yeah yeah um so a good trainer will move at the pace of your dog and will work within their comfort zone and there can't be guarantees for that the only thing they should be guaranteeing you are what their goals are and how they plan to attempt those goals so my other point for board and train, which hopefully I'm just clearing things up, but I might just be muddying the waters. We'll see. But obviously, I mostly work with eight-week-old puppies, and they're all very similar to one another. We can accomplish specific tasks in a relatively predictable manner. But I have done a couple board and trains for older dogs with behavior issues. And the most important thing that I get across to the owners before they book with me I don't let them book with me or pay me if they don't understand this is the kind of board and train that I do is existing so that I can troubleshoot the best way to work with their dog. So I'm not here to solve problems. I'm here to figure out how the problem can be solved. And then I transition that information to the owner and they have to do the work. So behavior issues are ongoing work. They're not something that gets solved here in four weeks. I can get the ball rolling. I can give them the tools that they need, but I am not the fix. Well, and you get to, I mean, it's really more so you just getting to know the dog, right? Like, you can communicate with the dog better after that, so that it's going to be easier to get them to communicate with the dog. Yeah. Because, so I, like, I mean, I have instances of that, too. Like, with my behavior cases, I always offer, like, hey, if you go out of town, let me know, because it'd be really nice if I could do it's, it's I don't think of it as a board and train, but I guess that's what it is. Um, just because it it gives me a little bit more of a rapport and I can kind of understand how that dog works a little bit better. 
Yeah. So for instance, um, well, I have one right now, but she's not my example. But I had one um, last week. The owners were just out of town for 10 days. So I had this dog for 10 days and he is a real stranger danger dog. And they're having a hard time even hiring a dog walker to come over and stuff like that. And so while he was here for 10 days, I troubleshooted like the best way to get him um, comfortable with me putting his harness and his leash on because he hates it. He hates getting leashed up. And then I gave them that even information. Even by his parents? Um, his parents are okay. Strangers are not okay. So, oh, okay. and I had never met him before. So I'm a stranger oh, okay. to him. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and so having that time to kind of work and figure out how to get comfortable with him gave me tools that I could give his parents. Like, you know, anyways, it wasn't specifically a board and train. It was more of me just yeah. boarding the dog. But that's what you can get out of board and train with me is I can, I have a lot more time to troubleshoot and get to know your dog and give you better information. Yeah, Absolutely. And that brings us to maybe the most important part of hiring a trainer, which is that you need to be your dog's advocate by being involved in training and expecting to work. Yeah. So, I I mean, I think that we kind of talked about that a lot in the methodology episode, too, is like, yeah, I might be more balanced and more willing to use shortcuts or aversives as shortcuts or however you want to say it. But that really just comes down to the level of, of work the owner's willing to do, right? And for the most part, if you're not willing to do the work, then neither one of us are going to be the trainer for you. But there are some exceptions, obviously. But generally, the rule is if you are if you don't want to do the work, then you're not going to get very far. Yeah. <laughs> because, again, if you're not willing to do the work, then you're probably going to do something like a board and train. And, again, all they're doing is learning the collar, generally speaking. If you do a positive board and train... Hit us up and let me know because <laughs> I can yeah. teach you. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Because I, again, I've, I have not heard of another board and train like this. I do it. Out I of mean, mis- we, like, we had one that we used, but it doesn't exist anymore. So, yeah. Yeah, I started this specifically for bungee doodles because we had a couple people asking for that. And so yeah. that's why I do this. It's not like I just started a board and train and, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, similarly, I did it because in Vegas, there's a lot of, uh, behavior rescue dogs that get stuck living in a kennel for a year plus because uh, nobody can foster them and they're certainly not going to get adopted. <laughs> and uh, I knew I didn't want to do board and trains because I don't agree with the 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 basis of it, right? And so I figured that was a way to do it and make that money but not go against what I believe in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um but yeah i mean you're essentially just fostering yeah really it's paid fostering essentially uh i tried to get foster and train to stick but nobody ever says it (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i mean like lily said you have to be involved in training you have to do the work uh because i would go so far as to say a majority of dog training is your relationship with your dog and if you don't have one or you're not willing to create one then there's not a lot any of us can do for you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I like the squeaky in the background. Yeah, she's squeaking her uh, <laughs> her harvest apple tennis ball from BarkBox. <laughs> I need to uh, I need to redo my BarkBox. I at the beginning of the pandemic when I didn't have work for a while, I canceled it, and I miss it so much. It's Bark always Box so is great. Cute. I love it's their great. Show. They're so worth it. Mm-hmm. I, I I think that it saves me money because otherwise I go to the pet store all the time and just buy random shit. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I think uh, I think in summation, we would just say 
you know, that I'm trying to get back up to the top of the. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think in summation, I we would just say, you know, fi- have a game plan, figure out what kind of training that you need, uh, figure out what methods that you like, uh, and then make sure to pick your trainer carefully. And then, I mean, the last segment kind of went off on a tangent, but also. <laughs> yeah, our last segment was like about board and trains. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know how we got there. Um, I, you gave me advocate for your dog and I was just like, this seems like a good, good time to get on my soapbox about board and trains. <laughs> but yeah, just just have a plan for your dog. Don't just go into training because you feel like you need to go into training, right? Anybody can teach a dog to sit. You don't necessarily need to hire someone for that. But if your dog's out of control or you've never trained a dog, then yeah, you probably need to hire someone for that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, If you just need to teach your dog some behaviors, you should sign up for my Patreon because I have videos for that and you don't even have to leave your house. I see what she did there. Um, I will say I referred one of my puppy people to her Patreon and they liked it a whole lot. Stop. Sorry, I'm playing with my foster dog. Uh, <laughs> I'll get back on track. Is that Myra? Um, ow. Yeah. Myra's a good example. She just got a puppy. Um, she knows that she wants it to be kind of like a test dog, a dog that can go anywhere, a dog that's good with everything. So we're we're starting young and we're covering a lot of shit. And, you know, we're, we're doing a lot with that. Uh, don't wait until your dog's six months and then decide you need a service dog. <laughs> um but just basically have a game plan and and take dog training seriously don't just go through the motions because you'd be surprised how many times i show up at the house and people are like yeah yeah can you just we're just we're here for this and then they don't listen to a fucking word i say and they don't do their homework and it's like you're wasting your money bro (laughs) yeah i could show up here and talk to a wall for two hours for that amount for that amount of money all the all day Go ahead. You're the only one not getting anything out of this. <laughs> yep. I've had clients in the past where, like, they definitely expected a magic wand kind of fix. And yeah. I, I was up front. Like, I was like, you know what? I'll keep coming back here, but I'm just going to come back next week and tell you the same thing. And, like, exactly. I had one person who hired me, like, three more times. And oh, I yeah, just came I... back and said the same thing. <laughs> yep. I have, I have had multiple clients. That I have, like, after a couple sessions, I'll have, like, a come to Jesus and be like, listen, you're consistently not doing your homework. We're consistently not seeing progress. I will keep showing up as long as you want to pay me, but nothing changes if nothing changes. Yeah. And I've been on their payroll for months and months. (laughs) Like, they don't care. It makes them feel better that I'm around, even though nothing is changing. I, I can't. I can't imagine the reasoning behind it. Uh, <laughs> event, I mean, eventually, obviously, I do get to the point where I'm like, hey, I don't have time. Yes, you're paying me, but it's not worth it anymore. It's been seven months, whatever it is. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I will fire those people eventually, but it's like, listen, at this point, I'm showing up for your dog's well-being more than you. Because <laughs> like, at least if I come by, it's getting something. But yeah, just take it seriously. If you're not going to take it seriously, then you don't need to waste your money and any of our times so well i think that about wraps it up do you agree (laughs) (laughs) agree agree our 13th episode is ready to be let out of the kennel you can find me on instagram at miss lily's dogs or on my website miss or my online training platform patreon.com slash miss lily's dogs what are you doing (laughs) nothing (laughs) 
<laughs> not boxing a Z. That's what I'm doing. You can find me on Instagram at properpupperslv and my website, properpupperslv.com. In our next episode, we will be drinking more Valentine's Day margaritas because they're my favorite. And talking about my other favorite thing, diet and nutrition. <laughs> uh, next time on the Doggeritaville podcast. Thanks for listening to Doggeritaville. Send us an email at doggeritaville at gmail.com. Or send us a DM on Instagram at doggeritaville. And let us know if there are any topics you'd like to see covered. Or if there are any margaritas you want us to try. And don't forget to leave us a review. Until next time, give your dog a treat from us. <laughs>